We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. My name is Jari Bolander. Welcome to the Entrepreneur Ethos Podcast. On this podcast, we're going to take a deep dive into the traits, values, beliefs, and skills of all sorts of entrepreneurs to learn how to build a more ethical, inclusive, and resilient world. Let's get started. On this episode of the podcast, I speak with Denise Schiffman, who discovered the power of group therapy after experiencing chronic anxiety when she was an executive at multi-billion dollar companies where her hectic lifestyle was starting to catch up with her. Having grown up believing that only weak people went to counseling, she realized that therapy, and in particular group therapy, can be a key element in someone's overall health. That's why she's now developing a means for professionals and therapy seekers to find groups that work for them through an online, data-driven platform called GroupWell. She believes that a virtual way for people to connect, but also experience well-constructed and well-run group therapy, is an idea whose time has come especially now that healthcare is embracing more online tools to deliver care. Critical to group well success will be combining the age-old need for connection with technology innovation. Launching this product poses many challenges, but it's a project that she believes meets a great need at a time when people are feeling more isolated than ever. I agree with her, since I've had my fair share of challenges with grief and loss, and therapy has helped me navigate it. What Denise is doing is sorely needed and will only become more relevant as COVID-19 continues. Now, let's get better together. Denise Schiffman, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Jari. Glad to be here. 
Yeah. And, uh, you know, what's really cool about what you're working on right now, which is called group. Well, which of course I'm going to tease a little bit. We'll, we'll get to that a little later on. Um, is just, it's something is kind of near and dear to my heart in terms of healthcare. Um, but the thing that's really cool is that uh, we met through Founders Network again, once again, but uh, I was your like onboarding mentor, which is a really cool way to get to know someone because usually they come into a new group. It's sort of like, hey, how, how, <laughs> who are you and how do I use this Founders Network thing? Um, and I would love to hear your journey. And I know everyone else would too, because um, you've, you've led a very fascinating life up to this point. And you know, when we talk about what you're working on now, I mean, you're literally just at the start of it, which is always a really exciting thing to talk about and think about. So, uh, before we do that, so how did you get to do what you're doing today? So it's, it's a great question. And I don't come from the healthcare industry predominantly. I spend a little bit of time in it, but this is, this is a big change up for me. And, and group well is a data driven behavioral telehealth platform specifically designed for group therapy. Um, and I came to it in a, a surprising way, I guess, a surprising for me. I've had big, you know, executive jobs in, in high tech companies and, you know, you're usually running at 100 miles an hour and traveling around the world and booked from seven in the morning to eight o'clock at night. And that's all good. And I loved it. And I thrived on it. But I decided after my last big job to take a year off. And this was about three years ago. And out of the clear blue sky, I started to be challenged by uh, chronic anxiety attacks. And it literally took over my body and it took over my life. And I, I would just stand up in the middle of the, the living room, Jari, and look around and think, what the heck is happening to me? Wow. And I did all the things most of us do. I got on Google and started searching and I downloaded Headspace and, and started trying to meditate, which has never been my strength. Sitting still and not thinking is, you know, and I like Headspace's approach, you know, the, 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 um, the mindfulness CBT side of it is really powerful, actually. Um, I read books, actually, uh, listened to a lot of books on Audible and, and was trying to teach myself what I needed to know because I've always been so resilient um, from a behavioral health perspective. I've always had a way to kind of wake up the next morning and feel great. That was sort of my skill and it had gone away. And so I was trying to figure out what new skills did I need to build. And it was what I learned on my journey was that being in that state isolated me. The last thing I wanted was anybody I knew to know what I was going through. Certainly, honestly, for women in the workplace, you don't talk about having anxiety. You just don't. Well, as a man, you don't talk about that either. <laughs> well, you know, this is true. So we don't talk about our health, very our mental health no. in the workplace. No. Um, but, it, you know, so it wasn't a conversation I was going to sort of bring forward and that isolated me even more, which of course makes the mental health challenge significantly worse. And so my process was to learn um, to reach out and connect with other people that shared experience and the mutual support. And almost by accident, it happened with this um, tribe I'm a part of, this very small group of executive women uh, who one evening uh, after a meeting we were chatting and I just let it out. I couldn't keep it in anymore. I was it's just at rock bottom. 
And what I got, because they were, you know, some of them were medical professionals and, and really knew how to handle the situation. And many of them had been in therapy and had the shared experience. And I got sort of that full sense of what it's like to be part of a group that you're connected to, um, that you can trust and rely on, that you, you know, shares your experience so you don't feel so alone. Um, and then where you can help other people and they can help you, which is part of your, your growth and your building the strength and not only to get healthy, but to stay healthy. And, and I learned that that's the power of group therapy. And that got me on this path that started three years ago. And, and then it took me <laughs> three years almost to start the company and, and figure out, you know, how it made sense to go after the space. Whoa. I mean... Wow. Talk about uh, finding a personal need and filling it, which a lot of us do, you know, as entrepreneurs, you sort of scratch your own itch, I guess, is what they say. <laughs> um, but what's interesting is so I've, you know, I've done a lot of personal therapy over the last three years uh, to kind of work through some of the challenges I had when my uh, wife Jane died. And it has been a transformation formative experience for me personally, the one-on-one -on -one therapy, um, because, you know, you, you can kind of work stuff out. Um, but I've never tried group therapy before. Um, I guess the group therapy, the pseudo group therapy that I would do before everything got shut down was I would do jujitsu and, you know, as a bunch of guys and sometimes some gals, you know, like beating each other up and choking each other out, <laughs> which <clears throat> is this not only physical, but, you know, the the exercise, the getting your body to release all that tension. Um, I am so curious as to how the transition's been from like executive, like, I mean, how, you were pretty high up in some of these companies, I'm assuming. I don't remember how yeah. you could tell. How, how, how yeah. high were you up in these companies? <laughs> so it was the senior VP in oh. over multi-billion dollar businesses. Wow. So a lot of pressure. A lot of pressure. Yeah. A lot of pressure, a lot of stress, a lot of stress, a lot of anxiety. Yeah, yeah. So no wonder why. Um, but so, how how has the transition been from that kind of corporate life into now? You know, with Groupwell, I mean, you're literally in the process right now of starting it, getting all of your your team together, trying to raise money. How's that transition been? Well, there's there's two pieces to the transition, Jari. The the first and the most powerful has been no matter who I talk to whether it's my new mentor at Founders Network or my accountant or a friend of mine I haven't seen in a long time. Um, when they ask me what I'm working on now and I share it with them, I get these stories, these life stories that I never would have known about them. And I am surprised every day by how many people will say to me, I've been looking for a group for 10 years or 20 years. Oh, wow. And I've never been able to find a, you know, a bipolar group or a, a group for, um, you know, uh, well, one example is, is a woman like me, not personally me, like that person who's a scientist, but struggles with some very severe challenges. Mm -hmm. And that's a different model than, than someone who doesn't already have the technical understanding of what's going on, but right. still needs to solve the problem. And, and so that's been huge for me. And it's taught me that I'm in the right place at the right time, because this is where I want to be. I've built a lot of technical products in my life. Um, 
for data center backend infrastructure, I really want to build something that impacts human beings and living their lives every day. So that was really important. Um, on the other side of it is, well, going from big company job to a startup, I've actually worked in a number of startups and I actually transitioned to a startup before I started this one. Um, so I have that experience, but this is the first time I started with a, a blank sheet of paper and really created the company um, myself and reached out for all the partnerships and the advisors. And I had already learned how important those connections are in my personal life. Well, it turns out to be they're really important in your professional life too. And I've built these amazing relationships with people who have dug in on a company that I literally created out of my mind and some experience right. and wrote that on a piece of paper. And of course it has morphed dramatically yeah, yeah. Uh, over and over and over as I learned from the experts and to be able to build a partnership with the Association of Group Psychotherapists, the preeminent association in the U.S. that's also connected to an international organization, just because I'm hitting it is such an uh, underserved or unserved need. There's really no one going after the space. And, you know, the first thing I heard was, oh, my God, someone's building something for us, meaning us, the group therapists. Right. Um, and these amazing advisors that I have who who really believe in delivering group as a way to scale therapy and the, the challenge we have today where we don't have enough therapists. We can talk more about that. Yeah. But so I've been motivated by the need um, every day to kind of work through all these details. And, and of course, the big thing is raising venture capital. And I've, it's just a big learning curve. And I like to learn. I, you know, I love, you know, pushing myself to do something I haven't done before. And so for that, it's great every day, but I am shocked at how much learning there is every oh, yeah. single day. <clears throat> it's a so. fire hose. It's a, it's sipping from a fire hose that's being shot out of a cannon. <laughs> it's this, it's, it it's, really is. <laughs> it's insane. I mean, and raising money is just such a, it's just a different experience. I mean, you know, a lot of people write about it that it's like, oh, it's just a B2B sales process, but and you know, it is in one sense, but then in another sense, it's more, it's all about those relationships. It literally comes down to, you know, do I trust you with my, my money? Um, and it's just one of those things that takes a long time to do. And, um, it, it is kind of interesting that a lot of the group therapists, the reaction that they have, that someone's actually finally going to build a tool for them, um, you know, there's a lot of individual therapy tools. There's like Mindspace is for a meditation. There's the um, the waking up app. There's lots of these different apps for the individual themselves to sort of work on their own little thing. But when it comes to the dynamics of a group, which is always tricky, like I, I remember I, I, there was a bunch of grief groups I tried. I, I, I tried to figure out if like group, grief group therapy was for me. Right. And so I, I went to a bunch of them. Um, and the thing that it was really hard on me to do is one, I was pretty much the only man there and the only man my age. Uh, cause you know, I, I'm like when, when Jane died, I was 46 and she was 36. So I'm like not the typical, uh, widower, <laughs> so to speak. Um, uh, but it was mostly women, not a lot of men. Uh, my experience with it, especially on the grief side, was that it was a lot of pity party, pr private pity party stuff, which I felt 
but I just did not want to be part of. I wanted to figure out how to work through it and like, like, how do I grow from this? Because, you know, one of the things that Jane was adamant about before she passed away was like, I want you to be happy. I know you're going to go down the spiral of doom on this if I go, because that's the way you are. But you need to promise me that you're going to be happy for literally the rest of your life, right? I mean, that's the promise I made to her, which I, I try every day to do. But the but the therapy part of it, the group therapy part of it was just, it just was such a Debbie Downer, you know, like, gosh, can we stop talking about how, you know, how sad we are? I mean, I understand we have to talk about that, but like, can we talk about how we're going to work through it? And, 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 and being in, in a lot of cases, being the only man was really hard <laughs> because I mean, not to say no one knew what I was going through, but no one knew what I was going through. Like it's, it, everyone has a different, you know, dynamic with it. But for men in grief, especially men in grief and the loss of a spouse or the loss of a child or whatever, we handle it differently. And there's a different dynamic to it. So I'm curious, how, how do you think group well is going to handle that sort of dynamic? Because that that's a big challenge, just full, you know, full stop. I'm sorry. No, first and foremost, I'm so sorry for your loss Thank and the you. loss of Jane. Yeah. Um, I know how hard that's been for you. Um, and the the dynamic you're describing is exactly the reason why I created Group Well the way that I did. So a lot of telehealth, as you were getting at, is is individual telehealth. So the, you you have these on demand um, telehealth platforms where. There, you know, you get on, you need a therapist or a counselor or a coach, and you're connected to somebody. You don't really get a lot of decision in that. You can evaluate them and you can decide no, but then you get connected to somebody else and you start again, which, which is not terrible. But, you know, and most of that is in asynchronous texting. And it still actually can come out fairly expensive. What I decided to do is to stick to my knitting. What I do is technology. So I'm building a technology platform that scales group therapy and group therapists, the therapists themselves, whether um, psychiatrists, psychologists, social workers, even clergy, um, nurses. Um, there are nurses that specialize in this area. There's a wide range of people that provide group therapy and, and know how to do it well. And one thing about groups, whether they're peer groups or support groups or therapeutic intervention groups, the moderator who's running that group really needs to know what they're doing and needs to be assessing the outcomes of every person every week. How was that group working for you? What would you change in that group? And also um, validating, you know, that someone is getting better or not. And that's one of the reasons why I built something that's data-driven. One, because once we're all on video and, and on, online, I should just say, um, we get a lot of data. We get um, uh, audio, so tone, pitch, speed, um, repetition, word count. We get all of that that can be analyzed to determine how you are doing. Uh, we, you know, same with some of the video cues. And then you have online surveys. We can be very consistent about... Um, asking you how you're doing and asking a certain set of questions that get at a group score. So how is the group progressing? And then how are you progressing? And then ask you if there's something you change. And, and it's something that we've been lax about in physical groups when you show up to a group meeting. 
But I want to kind of come back to the original reason and my original thinking around GroupWell was to be able to build it as a marketplace, a two-sided network where both the therapist and the, the consumer are on the same platform, which creates synergy, but so that any therapist can get on the platform quickly and, and offer groups so that we can scale the number and type of groups massively, which would make it much easier for consumers who are looking for a particular type of group to find it. And I, in the story you told me, the story you just told all of us, I've heard many times from other people. I haven't been able to find the group that I've been looking for. And so what we want to do is make sure that people can search and find a grief group of men um, uh, or, you know, a culturally specific group or a culturally specific moderator, because that might be very important to you. Um, for what you're challenged by or the circumstances that you live in. So scale matters. The ability to access the platform to use it automatically, very easily matters. Um, and then putting the data behind it to make sure the right things are happening. So your experience is a good experience. Hmm. Yeah, I can see how the the data aspect of it is sorely missing in that, you know, uh, physical group. Um, it, yeah. Wow. Yeah. It's such a, it's such a challenge, you know? I mean, I, I've never, well, I mean, there's, <laughs> I think everyone at some point in their life should go through a therapeutic process to kind of process the stuff in their world. Right. I don't think, I mean, you don't need to do it like I do every week and all that, but there's something to be said for the process of reflection and being around people that actually have your best interest at heart, which some people say, oh, is friends and family, but you know, that's true, but there's not a place that you can kind of vent about friends and family, <laughs> which sometimes, you know, sometimes you have to do, right? Even the best partner, you're like, ah, sometimes, you know, and um, I do, I do find it fascinating that you're, you're trying to enable that, like, just a better way to do it. Cause I mean, I, I belong, I mean, I used to belong to the, you've heard of plan B from Cheryl Sandberg. Yes. Yeah. So she wrote the book plan B after her husband tragically died. Uh, and, um, I, I joined that they had a face private Facebook group for that. This was really on. And um, what was nice about that is that clearly there was a group of people that were grieving and they had different types of grief. Uh, and everyone has their own journey with it. But the thing that just made it overwhelming and I had to get leave was it wasn't really, it weren't matched right, you know? you could, <laughs> there were clearly were people that were dominating the conversations. Like, like most, you know how most groups it's like, Oh, 20% of the people like do 80% of the, the comments and the rest of the people kind of lurk. Right. And it's and without a moderator. And I'm, I'm glad that you, you brought this up because the moderator, if there was a kind of a better moderating mechanism, it would kind of draw out the people that are just sort of lurking. Right. Cause as we all know, we've all been in social situations where people just sort of, there's some people that just dominate it and groups have that domination problem where someone's going to talk the whole time about their private pity party and 
woe is me. And like, you know, they will suck the air and the time out of everything. Um, and the feedback mechanism on that without a good trained moderator is, is miserable. And I think that's part of why I just didn't work for me. A lot of these groups didn't work for me because they weren't, they weren't moderated by a professional. They were, oh, we're going to get together because we all lost someone we loved and we're going to have, you know, I did this one where it was like dinner party, but it was focused on like younger people's, but I still did it anyway. And it was, it was cool and interesting, but again, we're all at different, we were all at kind of different stages of it. And I know how important it is for a professional to understand that. And so how, how does, how does it, how do you kind of, the, the professionals that you've talked to, how are they, how are they planning on using the, the data and the platform and to kind of like help out those, those folks that may need a little more encouragement to share? Well, so this is, this is interesting. Um, so therapists aren't used to having um, tracking data or, or um, not just on themselves, but on their, their clients, their patients. And a therapist will tell you, look, if a primary care doctor needs to know how their diet, diabetic patient is doing, they run a test that's covered by insurance. If a therapist wants to see how their um, therapy patient is doing, they have to go out and pay out of their own pocket to, to get a, a test, you know, an outside service to, wow. to track that, that patient through basically standardized surveys, PHQ-9, GAD-7, you know, associated with different mental health disorders. And so we need to change the model. And once we move our line, we, we're getting all the data. We can analyze that and provide that data um, to really help a therapist understand their dropout rate, their deterioration rate. So really interesting data point. The top 20% of therapists have a 12% dropout rate and a 5% deterioration rate. Dropout meaning people who leave their practice and deterioration meaning the patient's doing worse. The bottom 20% have four times the dropout rate and three times the deterioration rate. And 90% of therapists think they're in the top 20%. (laughs) Well, that's like, you know, I would say same thing with entrepreneurs, right? We're we're within yeah. the top. We're of course I'm in the top ten percent of all entrepreneurs. I'm of course. Yeah. Of course I'm going to be the next billion. You know the next unicorn. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean I, I can do that. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Interesting. So, but huh, data is okay. helpful, right? Yeah. And so it's helpful to them. Now, some therapists on their own have always surveyed their group, sent them an email after a you know a physical meeting. You know, everyone's together and and asked them, give me some insight to how this is going. Um, others don't do it. They don't think of doing it or they don't think it's necessary. They think their clinical gut is good. They've got lots of experience and they know what's going on. I think underlying data will really help people see patients are doing better. They're doing worse. The group is doing better. The the group is not feeling cohesion. They're not, you know, um, got that climate. And, And so there's four aspects to analyzing a group. It is the cohesion, it's the climate, it's the therapeutic alliance with the therapist, and it's empathy. And so those are the things that we're, um, evaluating how that group is progressing. But people, you know, who are motivated to, to, to provide higher quality care, which is the most, you know, the highest percentage of therapists, um, are motivated to get that data. They want it. They just, they don't want to have to pay out of pocket themselves extra money above and beyond. And if their their organization doesn't do it, whether that's their hospital or their clinic, they really don't have much of a choice today. So 
it's really moving us forward. And with, with you know, COVID-19 driving all, of, you know, almost all of therapy, 83% of therapy, behavioral health now is online. Everyone's starting to think about it differently. Now, how do we get from just digitizing a medical office, which was the first, you know, 20 years of telehealth, to really advancing yeah. health? And proactive health. And I yeah. really think of this as a lifetime relationship yeah. um, to group well, to, to um, as you were mentioning it, to therapy, but to your own behavioral health, everything from therapeutic intervention with a therapist, someone who's licensed or a medical person who's licensed to support groups, which might be more loosely managed to um, wellness groups, which are, which are certified coaches. In all cases, the person moderating is certified, licensed in some way, because I believe in that model based on everything you just said and what I've learned. You know, the, our experience with forums and anonymous groups, anonymity is not a good thing no. in, in, on the web. It's not just not all. a good thing. Not at all. Uh, it generally deteriorates. There are lots of peer-to-peer startups trying to do chat peer-to-peer some not really video but chat and texting and and you know once again anonymous and anonymous misses the entire point that we need people that we have an epidemic of loneliness and isolation that just got exacerbated again by COVID-19. We had it before in the U.S. It's gotten much worse. It's awful. And that, so, so this whole anonymous thing completely misses the value of connections in your life. And if you don't have them, if you're more introverted or you have social anxiety or you have chronic disease, which can also isolate you, um, you have got, that's one of your first steps is making co- real connections to other human beings. And of course the perfect situation is face to face, but we're not going to be face to face again for a long time. And realistically online just makes it easier. You know, before we were taking therapy online for group therapy, the biggest frustration was no shows, people showing up late. I mean, how do you have a cohesive group if everybody's showing up at a different time because of traffic or because the babysitter was late or whatever it is? Yeah, totally. The, the biggest excitement for therapists is, wow, everybody's here and everybody, you know, dials in at pretty much the same time. So, um, so that's all, all very good. But I really think to the point that you're making, and one of the relationships that I have with the Association of Group Psychotherapists really is about training therapists to become certified group psychotherapists to make sure you have the training to run group well. The last thing we want is to be um, you know, driving a larger volume of group therapy by people who don't know how to run groups well. And, and so that's why I've stayed away from the peer-to-peer model and really focused on the the licensed professional, you know, led model. Yeah. No, I mean, I think that's a good, wise way to go. I mean, if you can crack that nut, that I think is one of the most important things to sort of sort out nowadays. I mean, uh, it's just so funny how trends accelerate during a pandemic. Um, because, you know, I mean, we've all seen sort of the, the telehealth, which I just don't like the name. I think it's a bad name, but I didn't pick it. So <laughs> that's, you know, if you ask me, if I ruled the world, it wouldn't be called telehealth. I don't know what you'd call it, but I just don't like that name. It seems like 1930s, 1950s. Um, but but you see the 
absolute acceleration of all of this healthcare stuff going digital. And, you know, because everyone's like, oh, well, it's so hard to do with HIPAA and blah, 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 blah. And then all of a sudden, like, no one can go anywhere. And then it's like, well, I guess you should figure it out, shouldn't you, you know? And you see that with even with um, visiting your doctor, like, you know, mm-hmm. now you can do that all online, which, again, doesn't necessarily replace the in-person but talk about like what you said, economies of scale and being able to get the therapy to the people who need it. Because I do think, and I agree with you, people are going to need way more of this therapy to help them through the challenges and struggles that all of this isolation and loneliness that's only been accelerating even more. Because, you know, in America, We've been more and more alone over the last decade. And depending on your age, it's even worse. Gets really gets really awful. And we do need connection to other humans. Like that's we're primates. That's yeah. <laughs> that's sort of we the need way. Our tribe. Yeah, we, we need our, our tribe. Group, absolutely. Yeah, I mean that's how we that's how you and I, our ancestors, got us yeah. here, right? It's yeah. You know, we we told better stories. We had a tribe that told us where the food was and which place to avoid so we didn't get eaten by the saber-toothed tiger. That's our that's sort of our jam. So what what has been so so okay, so how, how's your kind of daily schedule like then? I mean, kind of been working on this for a couple of years. How do you how do you how do you manage your day to kind of move things forward, especially now during the during the pandemic? Oh, I'm doing like a hundred things, a hundred different things. I mean, that's the the interesting part of being at this stage. I've got to go raise money. So I'm spending a lot of time with investors and that's been going really well. I've got to get the product built. So I've got a great user design team and we're getting prepared to go out for user testing. We've got an interactive proof, proof of concept done that looks amazing and so I'm getting, um, starting to get people signed up to do that and still working on the product every day. And then I'm also doing a lot of research uh, every day to make sure I am covering all the categories of, you know, how are we going to do the analytics? What are the pieces that underpin it? And then I'm also hiring. So I've just brought on a chief clinical officer who is amazing, has been doing, she's bilingual. She's originally from Argentina. She's... Um, been doing group therapy and is passionate about group therapy, but she's been doing it for underserved communities for many years. And I think that's really a big part of the model that I am targeting is, you know, global access to quality care. And that means access by anyone. Um, and, and, you know, that's a lot of work in the U.S. because of our very convoluted healthcare system and reimbursement system, whether you're on Medicaid, Medi-Cal, you know, private insurance, or you have no insurance at all, or you prefer to pay cash up front anyway yeah. because you don't want a medical record that you're getting, seeking healthcare uh, or behavioral healthcare. I mean, there's just, you've got to be able to cover the entire gambit. But in a big, and you kind of said it a couple of times during this conversation, is we have a huge, huge problem with behavioral health in the US. We, we, we think of it as an afterthought to any kind of healthcare. We, we don't yet understand as a, healthcare system, how much mental health care impacts your physical health care and, and how much your physical health impacts your mental health. Oh, These things are intimately tied together. Yeah. Massive. Yeah. yeah. And, and, 
the the data in the U.S. CDC says that 50% of Americans will will have a mental health disorder uh, at some point in their lifetime. The WHO basically says a billion people globally will have a mental health disorder at some point in their lifetime. And, and we don't have nearly enough therapists in the U.S. or globally to serve this kind of demand. And then COVID made it much more difficult. And one of the objectives of providing group and really expanding the ability, I mean, I think once we take care of all the complexity of putting groups together and, you know, creating retention and managing that group and, uh, you know, that whole process of intake, um, we'll have a lot more therapists that will offer group and group therapists that will offer more groups, which really gets that scale because group is so much more efficient. A single therapist to five or 10 people instead of to one. I mean, it's significantly more efficient and it's two to five times less expensive per person oh, per yeah. session. Oh, yeah. And so the, the healthcare system can solve for that. That's what payers are looking for. They're looking for cost-effective ways to reach a greater pro- um, percentage of their membership with quality care. They do actually care that the, the quality of the care is good. And they're looking at different kinds of reimbursement models, like value-based models to increase the quality of care. And so that's a, a big part of it. I mean, there's so many um, pieces to this. And so the, you know, that last part of it is really looking at the economics of what I'm trying to do, what's happening in the world today, not just in the U.S., and then how will we serve and do a good job of serving these underserved communities, which has its own set of complexities to it. Um, I think I think Medicaid actually serves 25% of um, the behavioral health need in the U.S. I mean, they're just a big part of of the opportunity for something like GroupWell. Yeah. Um, so, so my job is really, it's so many things at the same time, you know, and I, I even, and of course, every time, as you know, every time you talk to an investor, they're asking you to think through one more thing. So yeah. like, yep. you know, what's your marketing plan? So I wrote a marketing plan, you know, six months before I'll launch the product. So it's stuff like that. That keeps me extremely busy, but my key area really is build the product, and, um, you know, hire, you know, I've already brought together a great core team, but continue to hire a really strong core team and then raise money. Yeah, 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 yeah. Raising money, never fun. <laughs> but yeah, you're right. It's always one more thing. Always one more thing. I mean, and there, there's always one more thing and there always will be one more thing. I think, you know, you're going to find... I know all sorts of things that of course you didn't know today that you're going to know in six months because you're building and you're asking people and and that's a really good, you know, that's just the way this world works, right? You can't, you never know a priori what's going to work. Just, you don't, you don't, you have a good idea and you go figure it out. And I think that's really fascinating kind of just the, the thing that I've always found about therapy and mental health in general, in the U.S., for whatever reason. And I'm not sure why this is the case. I don't know if this is the case worldwide. Maybe you know. Um, The stigma behind it's pretty high. And it's, and I I mean, I'll be the first to admit, before I started doing therapy, I felt the same way. It's like, why do I need this? Like, I don't really need this. I've got friends or family to talk to. Um, Why I can handle it, you know, and especially as a man, man, men are even worse. (laughs) Even even if you like, you know, identify as a man, like whoever you you identify, like men are worse at this for whatever reason. A lot of it's cultural, 
a lot of it's just expectations. I think one of the best ways it was put to me is that it's okay for a woman to cry, but not to get angry. And it's okay for a man to get angry, but not to cry. And that's bad because we're humans. We're emotional. We have to let that out. And part of even the problem I had was when I wasn't letting those emotions out physically would feel bad. Like, like why am I so tired? Why do I want to drink to drown all these feelings? Why do I have to smoke more pot to go to sleep? Why is my mind racing? I mean, it's like, and, and so you look at all this abuse and uh, chemical abuse, substance abuse, overeating. I mean, all of these things, which, you know, the U.S., you know, a lot of overweight folk, a lot of diabetics, a lot of people addicted to Oxycontin and fentanyl, a lot of people addicted to drugs. I mean, all these things are all behavioral challenges that normally, if you just look at the broad spectrum of people, like I'm totally generalizing, but I'm pretty sure the data matches this. It has to do with loneliness, has to do with our disconnection from other people, has to do with our not being supported. Um, not having a tribe, which is what we evolved to have, that has our back. It's a powerful thing that for whatever reason, no one wants to talk about or no one wants to help. Um, have you been finding that? I mean, I know the people that you talk to and, and of course in the industry are like, yeah, of course I need this. But how has it been talking to people like investors about this? Do, do they see the need? Uh, well, it's mixed, but let me first say that crying is bar none the best release of stress, and I highly recommend it. <laughs> I do too. Just <laughs> lets it all out, and then it's gone, and you feel so much better. Yeah. Yeah, I um, used to cry a lot more, <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> especially when I would give a speech or go up in front of a group of people. i talk about Jane, and I'd get really emotional, and oh, I'd be yeah. like, take a deep breath. Okay, I'm glad that's over next, you know, and- it was interesting because like seeing a man cry, like people, they don't know what to say about it. And it's not like I'm blubbering and I'm like in a complete heap mess. I'm like sharing a genuine emotion that I feel at the time and you feel it well up in your stomach, in your stomach, through your chest and you just can't help it. I mean, I, for me, I couldn't help it. But like why? Yeah. So, so yeah, I'm sorry. I, I digress. Yeah. But so how, how, I mean, how, how is, how has the, how has it been for you to talk about this with others? So it's a, a, a little bit mixed. So I, most of the investors I talked to or have talked to so far um, are sensitive to the issue of behavioral health. If they don't invest in that area or invest much or know much about it, they find what I'm doing very interesting. They get the story they love the fact that I'm an executive, that I have tons of experience, can easy pull off this company and pull a great team together, lots of successes behind me. And, you know, it's all about the founder at this stage so they are, or the founders. And so they, they get confidence there. They get that it's an underserved market, but they don't get the market itself. They really don't understand behavioral health. Um, the, when I find investors that are in healthcare and in behavioral health, many of them have actually told me their stories. Wow. their mental health challenges, because I always start by telling my story. Yeah. Um, and I get really good reception and, and, and good support for telling my story. Um, and it's amazing to me that there are investors now, um, both men and women willing to share, you know, their own challenges or a challenge of a family member, 
and how they relate to what I'm doing. Um, and so that's very different than what I would have seen 10 or 20 years ago. Um, and, you know, I went into the odd investor who just thinks this, you know, why would you even, why would anyone invest in this? Because they really are disconnected from their own <laughs> self-awareness and the fact that people go to group. So I'll get asked, like, why group? You know, after I've explained group, the, you know, effectiveness, effective efficacy studies that have been around for 50 years proving that it's, it is as effective or more effective in many disorders than individual therapy. And they'll continue to ask me, why, why group? Why are you doing yeah, group? And so yeah, it's sort of a, yeah. you, yeah, you know, if you go to therapy, you, you learn about therapy and, and so on. So it, it's a journey, but I'm, I'm, you know, more I talk to investors that know this space, they're so savvy, so knowledgeable, so interested. Um, and, and even many are really excited about what I'm doing. And then all about, it's about the stage. Do they invest pre-seed or pre-product or not? And, you know, all of them have said, come back. If, if they are a true institutional seed A investor, they'll say, just, just come back. You know, I really like what you're doing, but you gotta, you gotta ship the product first. Yeah. That's, that's always hard. Yeah, it's hard. It is hard, but (laughs) I understand how it's working today. And especially with COVID-19, everybody's a little more conservative. Wow. But you also, you know, you brought up stigma and I I really think that's a great conversation. Um, The baby boomer uh, generation and the older generation, their parents um, lived and, and spread the concept of stigma. They lived it because they were told it. So I was told, if you see a therapist, do not put it through your insurance. Your employer can never know. No one should ever know you're seeing a therapist. And I lived with that my entire life thinking no one can ever know. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then I, I started, you know, my realm of friends broadened to lots of people a decade younger than me who would say, you know, you should see a therapist. I, you know, I've seen my therapist for 20 years. I'm like, and I'm thinking, you said that out loud. Yeah, I know. And, and an old boss of mine in a big staff meeting made the comment. He goes, you know, everyone should have a therapist. I love my therapist. And I thought, oh my God, he said that out loud at work. You know, So it's been a learning curve for me Yeah. that if you don't talk about it, that's the stigma. And that what we need, and I'm hearing so, you know, it's so great to see celebrities as much as we don't want to make them the icon, but, but celebrities have these huge platforms of 10, 20, 30, 40, a hundred million people listening to them. When they come out and say, I have this challenge and I see a therapist, that's so powerful. And I also want, and it's another reason why I wanted to use the marketplace approach so that everybody who gets in can see these just thousands, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of groups going on and everybody's showing up in video together, seeing each other. You are seen on yeah. video and I am seen on video and I am a person and I exist in the world and, and all of that that's so necessary. But, you know, we've got to make it where we're all t- telling our stories and, and that's the power of removing the stigma. And I grew, I had the same you know, feeling you did. I didn't want to look weak. I didn't want to look like I needed help. Like I couldn't do this myself. And, you know, it's always been at the push of other people. You really should see a therapist where I tried several until I found an amazing therapist um, who has had a huge impact on my life. Yeah, 
That's true. We got to talk more about it and reduce the sigma. So I think that's a great place to end it. Um, Denise, I really appreciate your time. Good luck with Group Well. Doing great work. Sorely needed. And uh, yeah, hopefully I'll have you back on when you're, you know, raised a bunch of money, built a great product, and you're, you know, like changing the way we do group therapy. I love that. I'm, I'm happy to come back anytime, Jari. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Thanks for listening to the Entrepreneur Ethos Podcast. I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I did creating it. My hope is that you learned something that can make you a little bit better. If you enjoyed the podcast, please do share it with friends and review it on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. You can also join my email list by visiting theentrepreneurethos.com to get my thoughts on what I'm doing to get better, as well as what I'm working on. You can also pick up my book, The Entrepreneur Ethos, if you want to learn the traits, values, and beliefs that I think we need to build a more ethical, inclusive, and resilient entrepreneur, and frankly, world community. Feel free to follow me on Twitter at The Daily MBA, and let me know if you have any questions or recommendations for a guest you'd like me to talk to. Also, drop me a note if you try anything we talked about on this or any other episode. I'd love to hear what's working for you. Until next time, keep getting better. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's U-N-I-F-Y-D healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.